Good morning, again. I, we will look at 1 Corinthians this morning. We will look at chapter 2, starting in verse 6, going through chapter 3, verse 4. And remember that I won't give you all the details of Corinth, but here's a few things to remember for this discussion. Um, one is that it's a relatively young congregation. And, uh, what, or excuse me, a young city. They, they've been around for 100 years. It's sort of a boom town. Um, and what that means is you have a lot of wealth, a lot of poverty. You have a lot of religions that are coming in. You have um, a lack of, and this may be a great thing, but a lack of sort of rooted families. So people are grasping for power in any way they can get it. And what it, it's just a seabed for a mess, especially when it comes to the church. And we've called this series Church a Mess Worth Making because Corinth's a mess and so is that church. They've written a letter to Paul. We don't have their letter. But this letter we're studying is his response. And in their letter, they're asking a lot of questions. They're asking about things like who should be leading church and how do we do communion and, and how do we handle idolatry and food that's been sacrificed to an idol and spiritual freedoms and sexuality. Questions I think we all ask today, except for the idol part. Most of us aren't dealing with that one particular one. If you are, let's have a conversation. Um, so the rest of those are, are probably going to be glaring questions for us to answer. Yet Paul won't even get into those issues until he deals with the underlying problem. Spiritual immaturity. Verse 1, he talks about that. And uh, we're going to look at that in a moment. But I want to ask this question. Are you spiritually mature? Or said another way, what would spiritual maturity look like? So have that question in your mind. And maybe you're getting a little defensive and frustrated. That's good. Embrace it. And we will now read the passage and we'll jump into these questions. Starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for they, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things <clears throat> excuse me, of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not... <clears throat> there we go. Got that out of the way. Where, were, where was I? For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, that is, the natural person, because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that it is not my wisdom or lack thereof, but your wisdom that leads people to your salvation in you, Christ. And that we pray this morning your spirit, as you promised, through this passage and in other passages, to be present, to open our eyes, to see the gospel. Lord, our flesh resists this. And this morning, Lord, undoubtedly there are unbelievers here. I pray for those that don't have the Spirit, you would send your Spirit to open their eyes, that they would be converted. For those of us that have the Spirit that may be walking by the flesh, I pray again you would revive us. Help us all to hear your gospel this morning. Amen. Spiritual maturity, I'm just going to say it at the very beginning, is this. Being tethered, being tied to your Heavenly Father. Recognizing that need. How many of you, you don't have to show your hands, that's a rhetorical question. Have you seen the movie Gravity? Or at least some of the footage? Uh, It's an okay movie, not bad. I thought it was realistic, and then all these people said it's not close to being realistic. I don't know. It looked real to me. It looked like I wouldn't want to be out there in outer space, floating around like they were. But what I remember feeling when I had these two characters, this whole movie, uh, I remember feeling I would really, if I were in their suits, I would really want to have a good tether. Because when that tether was cut, remember George Clooney? It's like, adios. Drifting off into outer space. And that was depressing. And so as all the banging happened and all the floating around, it seems like the, the only thing that really kept you comfortable, spiritually, mentally, in reality, was being connected through that tether. And as I studied this passage, that movie just came to my mind because we are living as Christians, rightly, as tethered Christians to the Father. But most of us, if we're honest, don't think that way on a daily basis. We don't think to ourselves, this morning, this day, every decision I make, everything I do, I'm doing it as one tethered to my Heavenly Father. Rather, we often think that we need to be able to gird ourselves up and go it alone, autonomously. Maybe even under the veil of Christ. But I, don't, I, I think we have a misunderstanding there. I hope you'll, you'll follow me in that logic. Maybe you disagree. But it seems like spiritual immaturity doesn't begin with your behavior. It begins with the thought that you're not really connected to the Father. And I hope to see that corrected this morning in this passage. Uh, we're going to look at three things. The tether, that's the word we're going to go with, Probably a better word than that. The tether connects you to the real Jesus. The tether is the Holy Spirit. And the third thing we'll talk about is the tether can be strengthened. Okay? So, the first thing, the tether connects you to the real Jesus. Paul says in verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. That would have been a great sermon title. The secret of spiritual maturity. So there it is. That's the new title. Write that one down. Paul says, we have this secret, this hidden wisdom from God. 
In fact, in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this secret, or they would not have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. And what's the secret? When you go down through the passage, you find at the very end of chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. And what Paul is getting at is the secret is Jesus. The secret is that we are connected to Jesus, right? And that in our tetheredness to Jesus, we have his mind. Um, I don't know that that's what we think of when we think of Jesus. I think oftentimes when we picture Jesus in the midst of our life, we, we are a little bit nervous about him coming in. Does anyone ever, you know what I'm talking about? Um, it's a little bit like the disciples. Sometimes you'll read in the Gospels where Jesus would do something and they were almost embarrassed. Like when he had the children come to him. Or when he was with the woman at the well. When the disciples see this, they're kind of like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Kind of, He doesn't quite understand. He's not from here. That's the mentality you often sense. And, and the reality is Jesus made heaven and earth. And if we could grasp that he loves what you love more than you love it, we might find him to be beautiful. Here's a really bad example. Uh, the movie Fletch Lives. I, I think I've done a, an illustration from there recently, but quickly, there's just this dumb scene where Chevy Chase has to go into a biker bar. You remember this? And he goes in, and he has to, I guess they need a ride or something. And so there's all these guys that are just your typical biker dudes. Um, if any of you are that, I apologize. We love you. He goes in, and he's dressed like, I'm going to really, I should, yeah, how do you describe people without offending everybody? Kind of nerdy, kind of a little bit on the effeminate side. Thank you, John. Um, and he goes in, and they are about to just tear him up. The music stops. They crowd around him. He goes to the bar. He orders a Diet Pepsi. The bartender like just crunches it into the can and hands it to him. And they're basically going to beat him up until they find out at least he says, he's Fred Harley. Well, so of Harley Davidson. And it's like the, the light went on. This is the guy whose grandfather made Harley Davidson. And they, he's the guy that formed our idols. And they go outside and get on them. You know, is that your Harley? It's the blue original paint. And they go riding down the road together. Don't watch the movie. But, but think this. Jesus shows up, and I think often the world thinks you don't belong. And we think that. And what Paul's getting at is if we understood that he's the one who made all the things you think you love, the idols of your heart are really pointing toward Jesus. And he can become lovely. And, and we need to rest in that. We need to see him as lovely. That is the change that the gospel can make. Um, here's my third and final movie illustration for the morning. Last night, I coerced my children to watch Harry and the Hendersons. Now, you might be thinking, your sermon wasn't ready before last night. I just like this illustration, so I inserted it. Um, I didn't, you, you do this as a father. You go, I think I liked this movie when it came out when I was 12. Let's watch it together. And They did not want to do that. Even now, Coleman's grimacing. But the stories about the Henderson family, they hit this animal that ends up being a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot. And it's Harry. they name him Harry, and they put him on the car. They think he's dead. They take him home. And then there's all that tension where he wakes up, and he's wild, and he's breaking the house, and he, every staircase he's breaking. and he's, You know what I mean? He's turned the refrigerator over. It's great, cheesy 1987. Although the main actor is John Lithgow. I mean, come on. Good actor. But there's this, so there's this moment where they go from going, this, guy, this 
Sasquatch, this Bigfoot is scaring me, to the rest of the movie finding out how amazing Harry, the Bigfoot, is. That's the goal. Like, I remember thinking that's really what this movie maker was trying to convey. Uh, the goodbye scene was so emotional. You're like, you've, met, you've known this Sasquatch for like a day. And it's like, oh, we're going to miss you. Our lives have been changed. And I remember thinking, what was it about him? Was that he was, it's so cheesy, but he was dripping. They did a good job of making him like loving and wise. And he cared for every member of the family. In fact, there's this French guy that's trying to kill him. The whole movie, like, this French guy is going to kill the Sasquatch. At the very end, he shows up to shoot Harry, and he, Harry takes the gun away, then hugs him. And he melts in his arms, and now he's been converted. He's a Harry lover. Here, all I, okay, movies mean something for a reason. Movies point to the far country. Movies get at our heart because they reveal things we really wish. In fact, even in the movie, the whole crowd, the whole town became so scared of this potential Sasquatch. <clears throat> and, and the whole point was they thought he had teeth. And the owner of the, of the store was buying their guns, wanted to make sure they knew he was mean. And I think we are afraid that Jesus is mean. We are afraid that if he really shows up into our lives, he's going to be the mean Harry. In reality, he's loving and he's gentle. You know, my, my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We love that verse, but that's not the way we walk around thinking, is it? Somewhere our theology is not matching up to our actual practice, practical daily lives. Somewhere he's become scary to us. We're afraid he's going to walk into our lives and start pointing fingers. Is this what you've been doing since I've been gone? Is that... Is anyone with me on that? Am I only alone? Maybe just one person? We do not see him as a loving Savior every day. And so, what we do, like the Corinthians, is we gravitate toward other methods, other manners of Christian living. See, they let the culture seep in, but it wasn't the culture that they thought was seeping in. They let, it wasn't the sexual stuff and the idolatry. It was, if you look at verse, chapter 3, verse 3, for you still are of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? In other words, they were living out of the flesh. Intellectually, they would say things like, I follow the principles of Jesus, of course. I'm a Christian, of course. But their daily practical lives were fleshly. And so, the first step to understanding spiritual maturity is that you have two natures. Most of you have heard this. Some of you haven't. That you have, when you come to Christ, a tether to Christ Himself. All the fullness of Christ is available to you. But you also have the flesh. And Paul shows us that. Some people read this passage and think, oh, this is, this is the bad theology I'm about to say. Some people say things like, oh, this is carnal Christianity. There are people who are technically going to heaven, but they're carnal. right? That's what chapter 3 looks like at first. But that's not the case at all. For he says to, you, he says to them, um, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. An infant is a human being. 
in Christ is Jesus. The point is the tether needs to be strengthened. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But what I want you to grasp, just as we begin this discussion, is that somewhere along the way, our faith has gone from gazing at Jesus, being beautiful and glorious and for you, to being turned in on yourself with fear and jealousy and strife. Those two words are so, they, they encapsulate so much. Jealousy is a, is a disposition of constantly being non-content with your life, is it not? Constantly comparing. Constantly wanting to improve. Constantly wanting to have what others have. And strife is, I think, just the, the, the natural flow from that. You Contention. Constantly trying to have issues and backbiting and, and looking for people that disagree with you. And wondering if that person's your friend and, and do they like me. And there's just, it's, you're an orphan when you live like that. You're not resting in Christ. You're not tethered to the real Jesus. So, the next question then is how does this tether work? Um, how are we tethered to the mind of Christ? Um, Paul says it very clearly, but very strangely, starting in verse 10, that there's this Holy Spirit, right? So he says, for who knows, verse 11, a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. At this point, he's saying, you have a spirit, God has a spirit. Your spirit can comprehend your thoughts. God's spirit comprehends his thoughts. But listen to verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the capital S, the Holy Spirit, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So, in justification, you have been united to God, you've been forgiven, you have been, um, your sins have been removed, the guilt of your sins. But how? Like, what's the mechanism? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. I think Reformed people... We've often um, had no idea what to do with the Holy Spirit. Because we're not, for those of you that don't know, we're not really charismatic. Like some of you might be closet charismatics, and that's, that's fine. Right? One or two of you might have a prayer language. That's fine. Good, don't, don't tell me about it. But, but um, I'm sorry. That was, you, you know, we can have that conversation. And, and, and it's a good conversation. But somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit only became in our theology, a resource for this outward experiential stuff that many, many people are frustrated they don't have access to. In the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is applying all the benefits of Christ to you. That's how it's happening. When Jesus went away, He said, I'm one person. I'm God. I've been raised. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father. I will be raised. I will die and be raised. He said it before His crucifixion. But I'm going to send you a spirit so that everybody, without having to go to the temple in Jerusalem, can have the temple inside you. And that's what we're going to find later in chapter 3. You are the temple of the Spirit. So did you know that if you believe in Jesus, no matter how little, that if you're a Christian, no matter how insignificant you may feel, that you have this tether. It may be tiny, it may feel tiny, but it's real. And it's strong. And it is applying every benefit of Jesus to you at all times. 
the fault is not Jesus and the fault is not the Spirit. The fault is ours. And we'll talk about how to expand and strengthen that. But please understand that theology that you don't need to go work up your Christianity. You don't need to go improve your disciplines. You don't need to clear out the closet of sin. Though those are all great things, your initial move is faith. Do you believe that you have the Spirit? I was thinking of a way to illustrate the, spirit, the, two, the two natures, and, and I don't know why the only thing that comes to mind is, or one thing that comes to mind, too many things come to mind, is being in a dentist's office with laughing gas. I, I, I can't remember the last time, I do remember the last time, I can't remember my age, but, the, but my dentist was explaining to me how this is nitrous oxide, and what, this is how I can, I had cavities apparently, and uh, this is how we can shoot the, you know, your gums. But you put the thing on, and I didn't laugh, but it felt pretty good. It numbed me. And they did their thing. But I would be in no condition to like try to live a life. If I had that on all day long, can you imagine trying to like file your taxes and talk to a friend? That's how you and I are living. Numb. Numb to this world. We're living with laughing gas out of the flesh. And what I loved about what the dentist says, it's the second the, ga- the thing's removed and the oxygen comes in. Clarity. You're back. And that's what the Spirit brings, is clarity. The, the, the Spirit becomes the, the driver of your affections. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit bring, connects you to the Father, applies all the benefits, and is actually what sobers you and gives you life? Um, if so, then how do we strengthen that tether? How do we grow in that? Paul gives us, uh, in this passage, he explains that the Corinthians, as I mentioned, they wanted more. In verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And a lot of, there's a lot of discussion on that, but the, what's really pretty clear is they thought, we got Paul, he had a nice, simple message, and what we needed was more. We're ready for the next step. I used this illustration this morning in our Sunday school class, but I took Taekwondo when I was young, really young. And all I remember, you go in, and the first day you get your white belt. Oh, that's cool. You tie it on. Here's how you tie it, you know. But you look at these people standing around you, and some have orange and yellow and blues, and, and you look up on the wall, and it goes all the way to, like, second degree. And it goes beyond that. And as a child, or as any age, you, you think, I want that. I want to grow. Anyone, do, has anyone ever taken karate? Like, that's the whole thing, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that until you apply that to your spiritual life. You come to the cross, you come to Christ, and you think, okay, today I just accepted Jesus. I want to be like that guy. I want my sin to be as removed as that person's sin seems to be removed. I grow like that. That is our view of maturity. Is that your view of spiritual maturity? This is where I'm asking that question again that we started with. How do you think a person grows spiritually or grows into spiritual maturity? Paul says at the very beginning, yet among the mature, okay, we do impart wisdom. I remember when I started studying that, I thought, well, that's not fair for the people that didn't get the wisdom imparted, right? He says, although it is not a wisdom of this age, right? But we impart this secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages of our, for our glory. But then listen, and I've already repeat, said this, but verse 8, 
none of the rulers of this age understood this. Now wait a minute. That means that the rulers of this age also were imparted with this wisdom. Does that make sense? So Paul makes it sound like they didn't get it, but what he's really saying is it didn't click. It didn't take. Um, And I guess the question for us is, is the wisdom clicking, is it taking, and why or why not? Why would this wisdom of Jesus, if if it's said, and it's the Gospel, why would it work for some and not others? What does that look like? What does this spiritual maturity look like? I think the biggest thing you need to realize is if you think you're going to grow into spiritual maturity past the gospel, you now need other things, other discipleship programs, other things to make you a better person. Paul is saying you are not even, you're barely a spiritual infant. So what does it look like then to be spiritually mature? To go back to the gospel. To go back to Jesus. To press into him. I want to, um, there's a quote, I'm not going to read, the gentleman, where did I put my quotes? Uh, that's on the front page. You can read the quote later by Walter Marshall, but he says this later in the same book. He says, um, This way of life that I'm referring to and he was referring to in this book is called living by faith from Habakkuk 2 4, Galatians 2 20. Walking by faith. Other, other uh, scriptures, Galatians 5 6. Faith working by love. Overcoming the world by faith, 1 John 5.4. Ephesians 6 says, Quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked one by the shield of faith. It's constantly going back to faith in Christ. Listen, um, he goes on to say, Some people think living and walking by faith means, and this is where I really need you to, I know you're getting hungry. You're starting to tune me out. I'm droning on. It gets good. Many people think living by faith means that you merely stir yourself up to live by the principles that you believe. That's what by faith means. That's what a lot of people think, he says. In fact, he says the Jews thought that. And even Paul thought he lived by faith while he was a zealous Pharisee. Afterwards, after his conversion, however, Marshall goes on to say, he knew that the life of faith consisted to dying to the law and living to God. Dying to the flesh and living to God. Dying to your attempts at self-improvement and living, pressing into Jesus. That is such a hard concept to grasp. Maybe it's impossible fully to grasp, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is quit thinking how you're going to improve your spiritual life. Quit it. Start thinking, how am I going to press into Jesus? How am I going to walk with Jesus? How am I going to... He continues with more Scripture. Um, It's just amazing. Walking, rooted, and built up in Christ, Colossians 2. Living to God and not to ourselves, but to have Christ living in us, that's Galatians 2.20. 1 Peter, a good conversation with Christ. Later in Romans, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may walk honestly as in the day. Ephesians 6 again, being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Doing all things in the name of Christ, Colossians 3. It's like so clear that we've lost it. We, we read all of those things and go, that's just one little aspect of being a Christian. And Paul says it's everything. How do we do that? Well, 
the chief way we do it is through the means of grace. So what are the means of grace? The, reading Scripture. If, if you're starving, and I say be warm and well fed, and send you on your way, James would say what? That, that that is sin. That is not loving. If I say to you, press into Jesus, grab on to Jesus, cling to Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and don't tell you about Scripture, because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm a fundamentalist, then I am not doing my job. You have to read Scripture. You, have, you will not grow without pressing into Scripture. I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation, but that's where we get our food. And we read it and we chew on it. Other means of grace are prayer. But not self-righteous prayer. See, if I read the Bible like this, okay, I just covered chapter 1, that's on my reading plan, close it and go on about my day. That wasn't feeding on Jesus. When I come to the Scripture and I'm reading it prayerfully, Lord, show me your Gospel. Show me your truth. Show me my sin. I mean, the Psalm 19 that we sang so well, it was sung so beautifully. We got to participate. It just over and over the meditations of my heart. Right? Are you feasting on Jesus? And you say, "Well, Ryan, when I do that, I feel guilty." Hallelujah! Press into Jesus. But when I pray, I'm afraid He doesn't like me. Repent. Hallelujah! Press into Jesus. Um, I think one of the greatest ways this is illustrated. I'll close with this, and I know you're all going to cheer. This, I was teaching through this parable in RUF years ago, the parable of the sower from Mark 4. And Jesus presents this parable, and most of you know, I think, that the parables are strange. In fact, Jesus says, um, he finishes the parable by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And then a moment later he says, they've asked, they're asking a question, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And at times, I remember struggling with that. Like, it's not fair. Kind of like earlier in 1 Corinthians 2.6. We impart wisdom for the mature. Well, that's not fair. Right? That's my orphan heart. But then I remember reading this passage, and it says, he's finished this parable of the sowers, right? He talks about the different types of ground and the sowing. And then it says in verse 10 of Mark 4, and when he was all alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. That's strange. They should have already known. Like, like a Jedi, you know, like Yoda with, with Luke. Like, don't you just close your eyes and grimace and the thing just rises up? Is that your view of Christianity? Or is it this? This view is, he looks at them and says what I've just read, that he's speaking in parables. And then he turned to them and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? What does he follow it with? Then you're clearly not mature. You're out. Get out of here, guys. Scatter. Why are you still here? No. He explains the parable. He says, okay, well, let me explain it to you. And he goes about explaining the parable. The point is this. The spiritually mature person sticks with Jesus. It says... The best part of the whole thing, in my opinion, is the one time the black writing might be better than the red. It's all the Word of God. And when he was alone, those around him, along with the twelve, asked about the parables. They heard the parable and they said, I don't have a clue. I have no clue what that means. I'm sticking this one out. The other folks are like, that was an interesting story. We'll see you later, Jesus. And they went back to their lives. That's the immature. Right? 
I would, I would assume on the religious side, maybe the Pharisee would say, interesting, I'm sure that's somewhere in the Old Testament, I'll go over here. But what the spiritually mature person does is they stay with Jesus and they say, I need you. I want you. You look lovely. You have the words of eternal life. You have my best interest in mind. You created everything. Why would I go after idols without you? Why would I try to go find fun apart from you? Stick with Jesus. Struggle with Him. That's spiritual maturity. That's what the spiritual mature person does. Are you running to Jesus daily, weekly? Maybe you've never done it. What's keeping you from just saying, Jesus, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming into such a dark heart like mine and opening my eyes. And I pray, opening the eyes of everyone in this room, not to become good people, not to have the right answers, but to press in on you, to rest in you, to confess that we are running from you, that your spirit would produce fruit in our lives, strengthening our bond, growing the tether in our hearts. Lord, teach us that that is spiritual maturity, needing you more and not less. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.